Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Oh, I feel good. I knew that. Right after you listen to today's uh, broadcast, I want to invite you to go to Mojo University, sign up, and start learning what you need to know in order to be successful in your career. That's mojouniversity.com. Go sign up today. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and today I am really excited to introduce my special guest. My guest today is Sidney Finkelstein. Uh, he is uh, a, the author of the recent book called Super Bosses. And so we're going to talk about Super Bosses today, but let me give you a little background information about Sid. He is the Stephen Roth Professor of Management at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College, as well as he's Tuck's Director of the Center for Leadership. He's a well-known speaker and consultant to executives around the globe, uh, a, a prolific publisher. He's published eight previous books, including the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Why Smart Executives Fail. He's listed in the Thinkers 50, the world's most prestigious ranking of leadership gurus and has been featured in Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Harvard Business Review, Business Week, London Times, Toronto Globe, and many, many more. He's a regular columnist for the BBC and is known for keynote, uh, keynote speeches and media appearances on CNBC, Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, and Marketplace. Welcome, Sid, to the Manager Mojo Show. So glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Steve. Uh, before we get started, what I'd like to do is just ask you to tell our listeners what fun things you've been up to lately. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Steve, one of my um, one of my hobbies, for better or for worse, is uh, coffee, espresso in particular, uh, making it to be sure, and especially uh, drinking it. And I've spent uh, uh, um, I've spent some time in New York City uh, for the last uh, for the last couple of weeks. And uh, we're in the middle of a big revolution in the world of, uh, of coffee. I call it uh, the, the, um, the 3.0 revolution. Um, the old coffee shops were first, then Starbucks was second, and now we have this uh, new uh, high-end coffee uh, um, bar with baristas that you can always tell, by the way, because they, have, um, they typically have um, various tattoos and uh, um, long hair and other... Um, uh, other kind of paraphernalia that makes them particularly good at pulling espresso. And I've been going around uh, New York sampling them, and so far I'm not shaking too much, so, uh, so far so good. <laughs> That's awesome. I, uh, I am also a, a coffee fanatic, uh, although my needs are very basic. I just like really strong black coffee, so, uh, but yeah. that's awesome. I'm glad you're having fun in New York and doing those things. 
Uh, I want to talk a little bit today, uh, Sid, about uh, superbosses. I find the book very fascinating and uh, some, some really great, great tips for us. Uh, so before we get really too far into the book, what I'd like to, to hear is, uh, number one, what really inspired you to do the research for superbosses and what, what were you really looking to accomplish? Yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great question, Steve. You know, you mentioned why smart executives fail. A book that I had done about ten years ago, and that was all about the things that or, that people do wrong, and both in life and in business. And uh, after writing the book, um, I um, I did a lot of talks and some consulting and other things like that. And of course, everybody wants to know what what should we do to avoid that. And uh, in the book, I had a lot of different ideas. But you know, at some point, I I, I just realized that there was something more. Than, uh, than even I had uh, thought about uh, when I had done that book. And that something more is what led me to uh, Super Bosses. Uh, I felt like uh, if there was one thing that every organization must absolutely do to survive, to thrive into the long term, uh, I, I would say it is, the, um, it is the generation and regeneration of talent on a continuous basis. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really, I mean, it's hard to imagine after all the time and work and interactions that I've had. I mean, that's what I put at the top of my list. So I set out trying to understand who's good at this. And um, down the road, that took me to a variety of people that, uh, um, that became what, I, what I've called uh, super bosses. When, uh, when you say who's good at it, you're referring specifically to developing uh, talent and uh, uh, nurturing that talent. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, uh, that, that's right. And you, you know the way I would, uh, I would say it, uh, you know, if you look at the um, top managers in mm-hmm. any industry, uh, even today, and you do a genealogical study of where they, uh, where they came from, and of course not genetics, but where they were, who they work for, mm-hmm. what companies, what people, um, and I did all that. Um, and you kind of map it all out, and what you discover is that in virtually every industry, there's one, sometimes two, but usually only one person that had, that had this outsized influence in the development of talent. So many of his or her protégés have gone on mm-hmm. to be the primary players in an industry, even, even today. And, uh, and that's really uh, uh, what I'm talking about. The super bosses are people that, uh, that really help other people accomplish more than they ever thought possible, and as a result, create huge opportunities for those people in their own careers. Well, I, I happen to have a, a, a real passion for this myself from a standpoint that I believe that it's every leader's responsibility to develop people and to make them successful. Uh, but it, it, as you were doing your research, uh, what actually changed in your own understanding about what we think today? Um, well, I think uh, one of the biggest trends that I've uh, uh, that, that I'm sure we both have seen over the last oh, five years for sure is uh, the rise of big data and all kinds of software and apps available to try to make people more productive, mm-hmm. uh, to try to track their time, to, to be more efficient at, at meetings and what have you. And I'm not going to say that those are necessarily bad bad things to do, but um, after, after studying what super bosses do, that's not the path they've, they've taken. Um, they might use some of those techniques, but for the most part, they're almost like, um, you can call them almost like analog leaders as opposed to digital leaders. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a throwback to a different era where they'd roll up their sleeves and work with people on their team, where they'd spend the time to help other people get better, uh, where, where they made it their business uh, to really um, 
um, really produce the, some of the world's best teams in all sorts of different different ways, not just by being a nice guy, uh, but sometimes that be, by being a really a really tough character as well. It's mm-hmm. not one size fits all. And so um, I guess it's the uh, kind of the throwback nature uh, to to what I found. Um, and I'll give you one specific example. Yes, um, please. You know. Uh, the way the world, uh, the, the way the world of talent development has worked, if you go back centuries, there was one model, one approach that everyone used, called the apprenticeship model, right? Yep, I mean, everyone, absolutely. Everyone went through this apprenticeship model, and and some somewhere along the way, when we get into modern times, into the 20th century for sure, and into today definitely, um, hardly anyone does that. I mean, maybe in some professional services organizations a little bit, but for the most part, most companies don't think about it that way. You know, you, you hire people with school and they have certain skills, uh, you hope and you think, and, and then you give them a job and they're expected to do the job. And, and what Superbosses have done, among many other things, is that they've resurrected the, the old apprenticeship model of working hand-in-hand with, uh, with their people, uh, with their protégés, so that they get the benefit of learning from from the master, if you will, and mm-hmm. the, the more senior person, the super boss, gets incredible loyalty and um, and effort and energy from the people that work for him or her. Yeah, it's really powerful, isn't it? Uh, you know, I'm, I know this myself, and you mentioned that you were sure I'd seen it. I have seen this. As a matter of fact, I've seen it within my own uh, coaching practice that I have with companies. Where I'm, where I'm, what I'm really doing in a lot of these companies is helping people really understand how to do their job effectively every day. It's not, it's not just uh, the the old. Oh, okay. What are your goals? What are your objectives? It's really helping people understand the how to. It. Mm-hmm. No, uh, it sounds like you know you're doing exactly the same thing. That that that's part and parcel of the super boss formula. Well, I, I personally have found that it's the only way to really get engagement. Now, I know in your book you talked about this, and I, I want you to really dive into this with people because things really have changed with the so-called millennial generation and what they're looking for. And, and really, if companies don't change their attitude, if leaders don't change their attitude, they're, they're going to be in for some really tough times, aren't they? Boy, you are you are right about that, Steve. You know, in some ways, it's uh, one of the most important things that uh, that comes out of uh, comes out of the work uh, and, the, and the research that I did. You know, the word disruption is out there all the time. People talk about technological disruptions, and obviously, they take place the Ubers and the Airbnbs and all the all the rest. But I would argue that the single biggest disruption going on today is around the nature of the workforce that is entering uh, into into work. The millennial generation, as you say. And uh, and the mismatch between how most, um, especially large, but maybe most companies in general operate when it comes to thinking about talent and what the expectations and demands are for the millennial generation, as as one kind of central um, observation along those lines. Um, virtually every company I know spends a lot of time thinking about talent retention, and right. I'm not going to you know talk to you and say that's a terrible idea. Of course, a good idea up to an extent up to a point, because I think when you try to optimize on talent retention, and that becomes the, the only fundamental goal that you want, keep your people as long as, as, long as possible, uh, the, only way to, uh, the only way to do that is to end up with uh, some people that might not be um, 
might not be uh, you know the, the world the world beater. Some of the best people don't want to stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. Some of the best people want to they want to have those opportunities, but then they want to move on and do their own thing as well. And millennial generation, if there's anything we we know about them so far, it sure seems like that's part of their uh, their playbook. So we're, we we've got these companies that are all about retaining talent, but yet most people, when you talk to them and they're in their twenties or probably even thirties, uh, they're they're thinking about staying in a in a company for you know two years, three years, five years, ten years, and then they want to move on to another bigger uh, challenge. Why, why, you know, we, it's, a, it's a game, it's a, it's a change that if we're sitting in the C-suite of companies or running HR, we can't win that. It's a generational change. If you're not going to be able to win it, then why don't you try to do something about it to take advantage of it? And that's a core idea in super bosses to try to take advantage of the fact that there's a whole new generation of people that are thinking about the world differently. Therefore, you need to not just manage them in but you have, and not just work on developing them and helping them get better, but sometimes you've got to think about managing them out. And that's something that I think is still missing in most companies. Well, the, uh, as a matter of fact, I could guarantee you it's missing in most companies. So why don't you uh, explain for those that really are not even, I mean, the, the, the concept is just so foreign to them. Uh, kind of give us some detail behind what do you mean whenever you say manage them out? Yeah, so um, if you know that um, a, some really talented people are, um, uh, are thinking about a, uh, a tenure at your, in, your, in your team or in your organization for you know, five years, let's just say, for sake of argument, well, what happens after, the, after that period of time? Uh, what are you going to do about that? And I think, and some of the super bosses actually go as far as to, if you could believe it, pick up the phone and call other people in other companies saying, so-and-so works for me. You know, Mary is fantastic. She's ready for a new opportunity, and I think this would be a good place to go. In fact, Bill Walsh, famous San Francisco 49er head coach, one of my super bosses, that's what he used to do. He used to call owners of other teams, if you could believe it, to say, you know, one of my assistant coaches is ready. Now, I'm not saying go tell your competitors about your best talent, but the truth is that your best talent, they're going to go, uh, you don't get a vote on this, um, and they don't just go, by the way, to competitors. They'll go to partners. They'll go to suppliers. They'll, um, they, they could go in all kinds of different, uh, different places. So why not come up with a, uh, with a plan, um, and, um, and then why not be supportive of them? Why not help them uh, get to that next stage? And then, this is critical, once they've left the nest, it's not, you know, make sure the door doesn't, uh, doesn't hit you on the way out. It's <laughs> keeping them in your network. And everyone talks about network, but super bosses have taken networks to the uh, to the nth degree. It's not just you know people you talk to on occasion. Um, when when you have great people and they've moved on and you've helped them get better, and you're one of the reasons that they've been successful, there's a degree of loyalty there that you want to uh, you want to continue to get a return on that investment. And so super bosses will look for new business opportunities, new partnerships. They'll they'll certainly look for opportunities where. Um, one of your former um, employees or team members moved somewhere else, and they bring some business back to you. Sometimes they get rehired. I mean, I've got lots and lots of examples from, you know, Tommy Frist, uh, who's a founder and longtime CEO at HCA, Hospital Corporation of America, um, really managing people out by creating opportunities for them to run a new uh, spin-off from HCA, and they would become the CEO. That way, you're losing great talent, but 
you're retaining some degree of the upside. Lauren Michaels, another great example, you know, from Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. He's the executive producer of the late night shows. He's supported uh, Tina Fey with 30 Rock and other shows. Um, you got great people. They're moving on. Wh- why not continue to partner with them? Well, I, I think it's because so many of us are short-sighted and uh, in that we didn't really realize this was eventual anyway. I mean, to think your top talent is not known by others is really self-delusion. Uh, of course, your top talent is already known and identified in the industry. So you need to be prepared. But what I, uh, what I found, and I'm curious about your research on this, Sid, it, it, it appears to me that so many people uh, really are, they're not even thinking about developing people on their team that are not at where their top stars already are. They're, they're just focusing on keeping them, not developing everybody. Uh, at least that's been my experience. What did you find? Yeah, well, I think uh, I found a very similar thing. You know, the term high potential is a term that's thrown around a lot of companies, and, mm-hmm. uh, and there's some value to that because you want to find out who, who are your highest performers or highest potential performers, and you want to move them on a track. But does that mean that everyone else is kind of just sitting there? You know, su- super bosses uh, expect every single person on the team to contribute and contribute in a significant way. Absolutely. And so they're, they're raising the bar for you. Now, I have to say, not everybody could make it in that, in that world. It's challenging. And, um, and, and so there is some churn in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. But everyone is expected to, to add value, and everyone gets attention and interaction with, uh, with their boss um, as part of that apprenticeship, uh, apprenticeship idea. And uh, if, you, if you think about that, you know, why, why, wouldn't you, uh, why wouldn't you want to do that? Anyone who has that potential, who can, who can meet the standard that you're setting, um, those are people you want to keep investing in. No question about it. You definitely want to. Now, uh, why don't you give us uh, an example or two of maybe a super boss that you found that was really doing this well and just kind of describe what the story was that uh, really proved that they were a super boss. Well, let's see. There are, there are, there are a lot of them. Uh, uh, how about... Um, uh, let's pick uh, Julian Robertson, maybe an unusual example. Julian Robertson is, uh, is a hedge fund investor, mm-hmm. um, and he started Tiger Management a uh, number like decades ago. And uh, if you look at the hedge fund industry today, uh, actually for the last 15 years probably, um, you'll see many of his protégés that have uh, become among the biggest, most successful investors, uh, investors around, people like Chase Coleman, who believe it or not, became a billionaire in his 30s from his success. Steve Mandel uh, from Lone Pine, a fantastic investor, um, a whole bunch of others. And what Julian did is he saw that he had um, tremendous talent, and he spent a lot of time recruiting them to be sure, but he had tremendous talent. And what? Uh, and at some point, those people want to go off and run their own funds. And he decided that's exactly what they should do, but I want to be the one to help fund them and get some equity in the arrangement and, and give them my continuing support. And he did this to such an extent that in the industry, there's a, there's a whole terminology that's come up around, around that. People are, are tiger, uh, tiger cubs, which is the term given to people that used to work directly for Julian. And then there's tiger seeds, which are young people, like the Chase Coleman example I just mentioned, who um, 
who are, are given at a pretty young age a very big chunk of money to go out and invest with and, uh, and run their own show. And, uh, and so he saw the potential. He created an environment to keep working, with, uh, keep working with them. He continues to provide some degree of oversight, but also um, a great deal of interaction um, among people in his, in his, in his network. Um, he helps make connections among, among people. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's beneficial in the hedge fund industry, but I can't imagine an industry where it's, where it's not that beneficial. Um, now, there's a lot he does as well, Steve, to motivate people and energize mm-hmm. people. I'll give you one uh, one little, um, uh, well, actually, two two quick things. One, and this is true of, I think, every single super boss, and it goes co- contrary to traditional HR practice. If they see someone that, or meet someone, or come across someone that they think is really, really great, they will create a job for them, as opposed to doing the usual system, which is you have a job description, you have a you have a gap or a need, you write the job description, and then you go find people and and um, evaluate them and recruit them and then kind of see who checks the most boxes and, and that's the person you want. Of course, you know, in a big company, you're going to do that a lot. But they also add this other dimension of creating, creating an opportunity, creating a job for someone, even when, um, even when they weren't necessarily looking for, for that person. Um, one, one example, um, Bill Walsh, again, the famous San Francisco 49er head coach uh, for, for years, he went out to uh, recruit a uh, star college uh, quarterback and went out to see him practice. And the, and the college quarterback, uh, highly touted, was throwing the ball to his roommate, who, wasn't, uh, who was on the football team but kind of a second stringer. And, uh, and they were practicing um, that way for, for an hour or so. And Bill Walsh uh, is, is talking to them and, and kind of observing. And uh, then he, he leaves, thanks to everyone. And when it comes to draft day, what he ends up doing is not drafting the highly touted college quarterback, but actually drafting the kid that was the, the, the roommate that was catching the balls from the quarterback. And, and uh, because nobody was paying attention to that guy, he was sixth or eighth round or some such thing, turned out to be Dwight Clark, one of the most famous uh, receivers in the history of uh, the National Football League. Absolutely. So, uh, famous for, quote, the catch. The catch, exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of there's a lot like that that goes on, and I was going to say one other one other thing actually for Julian Robertson, uh, and and back to Chase Coleman as well. Uh, when I interviewed Chase Coleman, he told me early on in his uh, in his time working with uh, Julian, he had made a trade that made made a lot of money. It was a good trade, and it was the first one he had done. And he's sitting in his cubicle, and Julian is walking down the the uh, hallway, um, looking towards him, and uh, Chase expected you know big high fives and bear hugs and all the rest and and Julian looks at him and kind of gives him a slight nod of his head barely perceptible and walks on and that was it and Chase said the message was clear that was good now the bar has just been raised you got to do that again and you got to do it even better (laughs) so continued excellence I love it I I love it Uh, what a great uh, those are great examples Uh, Sid I, I know that uh this this whole topic is so new, I think, to uh, really the thinking of people today. They they've kind of gotten almost numb to the the way that we interview, the way that uh, we actually manage and lead people, and it's really uh, caused a lot of problems within the business world, up to and including, as Gallup has recently reported, ridiculously low engagement numbers from employees. And uh, so the thought occurred to me, and I know you addressed this uh, in your book, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts for all of us. 
uh, I know people are always looking for that kind of a super boss. Uh, they, they want they want that experience. So if they were looking, what would be the you know two or three things maybe that they would be looking for uh, in that super boss? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's another great great question. I do spend a bit of time thinking about that because of course when I was doing this research, people would ask me that question quite a lot, and I said, well, I better I better dig a little deeper to figure that out. Well. The good news is um, you can find uh, you can find your super boss because they exist um, in every organization in in a variety of places. Um, I uh, studied and researched for this book and tell the stories of some famous people, um, the Lorne Michaels and the Julian Robertsons and the Bill Walshes. But in fact, uh, there are there are, there are super bosses up and down an organization. So people shouldn't get the idea that you know this is the uh, the needle in the haystack. Yeah. Now, how do you find how do you find them? Um, did you ever notice in big companies they have these job boards up um, electronically, of course, uh, saying, you know, what are the job openings and what department or, or office are those job openings um, available? When you start to look at that and track that, and, and, and that's not hard for somebody to do internally because you see that all the time, mm -hmm. you discover that there's one office or one region where there never seems to be any openings. Uh, and if there is, it gets filled right away. And then there's another area or office where there's a revolving door and there, there's always an opening. Well, why, why is that? There could be a lot of reasons, but I'd like to suggest that one of them is that people internally actually know who the great leaders are that could help make you better, that can give you that opportunity, that are those types of super bosses. And when the openings start arising from their team because somebody's moving on for something bigger, um, there's a rush to get that type of job. And, in the, and when you have the, the opposite, where you have the boss that's, that's just kind of using you and not really giving you every opportunity, well, people are leaving not for a good reason, but often for a bad reason, and so there's that revolving door that's there. So, uh, so you, could look at, you could look at that. When you're interviewing, um, there are a bunch of things you could ask about. I like the idea of asking very specifically, you know, tell me about some of the people who used to work for you and where, and where are they today? So it's not, a, it's not an unreasonable question to ask. And, and, and listen very carefully to the answer because, first of all, they're, they're, they have to have something to talk about, right? They right. have to have a bunch of people that have moved on to something really, really impressive, and, they'll be, uh, and, and they presumably would be proud of sharing that with, mm -hmm. uh, with, mm -hmm. with someone. If, if, they, if they say you know, the opposite, which is, you know, I don't, you know, people have come and gone, but you know, I don't really um, have time to stay in touch, well, that's not what a super boss would do. Super boss makes time. To stay in touch and is very proud of people of people like that. Um, and then you could um, you could also ask, and you got to think of the right way to ask this in an interview. But you want to know how people spend their time. How does your boss spend his or her time? Mm -hmm. And when they're when when you have a, a calendar, and this by the way you could do, you know, listeners could do this as a self assessment really quickly as well. Look at your own calendar and say, well, what are you spending time on? Sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing. You know, we're so programmed, we're so scheduled, meeting after meeting after meeting, with so little time for kind of more in, informal interaction. Super bosses make sure that they leave time. They don't get themselves locked up into endless meetings. I know you got to be in some. We all understand that's the way the world works. But does it have to be that you're so you're 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 so booked from from you know morning to night? Um, so. Asking, asking what, what a typical day looks like for, for your boss. And uh, uh, they might be surprised by that, by that question, and not necessarily in a bad way. It's kind of an interesting thing to discover. And I'd be listening for how much time is there, not, in formal, not just in formal meetings, but 
um, that one-to-one interaction that I was talking about earlier, that apprenticeship type of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So those are a few things I would, I would think that you could look for uh, that are not hard to look for, and that you could ask about um, in a potential interview or just asking around internally when you're in a company looking for that potential super boss. Absolutely. I, those are great, and I think it helps us. Uh, helps us all to really do that self-evaluation. So I want to also challenge all of us to do that. I think that's outstanding. Uh, as we uh, want to, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time here. I just wanted to give you an opportunity. What are the the top two or three suggestions uh, or takeaways that you would want to make sure that everybody makes a, an essential part of their life? Yeah, you know. Um I, I, I have to say that, uh, and, and, and you, you said it, you know, with the Gallup poll and many other polls as well, uh, and, and surveys, um, the level of employee engagement, it's, um, it's a crisis. It's, it's, uh, it's a scandal from my point of view, from the point of view of, of leadership. Uh, we spend so much of our time at work. Why is it that we have to be in an environment that we would, we would never accept in any other part of our lives? And, and so each of us needs to take some personal responsibility for that, no mm-hmm. doubt. But all of us that have the, the, uh, the privilege to be a leader, to, to, to have uh, other people that look to you for some guidance and for some, for some oversight, we need to make work as engaging as possible. We, we, need, to think, we need to think about that as part of what we, um, what we need to accomplish. And this is a true win-win. It's not just about doing things for somebody else. When you have the most engaged, most energized team, Yes, guess what? They're going to do a better job, and that has to reflect positively on you. So, uh, so I think putting engagement, employee engagement, near the top of your list of things you got to pay attention to. I think recognizing that there are super bosses everywhere, and this is important. Every single person, I believe, has the potential to become a super boss, or at least much more like a super boss. Uh, this is absolutely. Not, you, know, some, you know, it's not some type of um, you know secret uh, secret secret code. I mean, the book describes a lot of different techniques and ideas, and we've talked about a bunch of them. Uh, anyone, anyone could do it. You have to want to do it, but these are teachable, learnable, uh, learnable skills. Um, and, uh, and when you do it, you create a work environment that, that is meaningful. For millennials, that's what it's all about, to go back to your early question mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. about that. And, and, it's, so, and it's, so, it's so important for you yourself as a leader because we know that, we know that you, the better your teams uh, the, the higher the quality of your talent, the more likely you are to be successful. So why, why wouldn't you want to do that? So um, in, engagement, recognizing that anyone can be a super boss, you just have to make the, uh, make the effort to, uh, to try to do that. And, and, and maybe third, very specifically about the network, uh, make it your business to be engaged with your own network. And, and when I say your own network, you have to own that network. It's not just something that's out there. Um, Look for opportunities to help other people. Look for opportunities to create new business opportunities for people that are that are leaving. And ask people to help engage in, in helping you do what you want to do as well. These are these are things that I think we're in the early stages of. Some people are good at it. Very few people, I think, are doing it to the extent that super bosses are doing it. I don't know about anybody else, but I know I'm pumped up. Thank you so much for all of those great suggestions, Sid. And I I wholeheartedly agree with you uh, in all these areas. Now, I know that there are going to be people that want to connect with you. How can they best look for a connection with you and your work? Well, uh, you can go to, people can go to the website, uh, which is superbosses.com. 
Um, people could tweet me directly, and I will definitely respond. My Twitter handle is uh, at Sid Finkelstein. That's Sid as in S-Y-D, and Finkelstein, F as in Frank, I-N-K-E-L, S as in Sam, T-E-I-N. Easy to make a spelling mistake on that. Um, <laughs> and, um, um, and I'll welcome people on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so I'm happy to connect with people in a lot of different ways. Twitter is probably the easiest way, and I hope everyone who's listening is, is using Twitter because it's a great form of communication and great way of networking now that I think about it as well. Absolutely it is. And uh, for those of you that happen to be exercising right now, make sure that uh, this is in the show notes to make it easy for you to connect uh, directly to Sid. Uh, Sid, I want to thank you so much on behalf of the Manager Mojo team. Uh, we thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we wish you fabulous success with Superbosses, and I want to encourage every single listener to go buy their own copy immediately. You should study these techniques. You should make them a part of who you are because this type of research uh, will change your life. And Sid, thank you for improving our life and helping all of us become better leaders today. Steve, you're, you're very generous, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Awesome. We look forward to hearing more great stories of successes in the future uh, from your groundbreaking work. All the best, Steve. I hope you enjoyed listening to Sid today, and I invite you now to go to mojouniversity.com and sign up for uh, LEAD, our training site. I promise you it's going to help you. It's going to make more money for you and your family and your future. Go to mojouniversity.com, and thanks very much for listening.